0: Should we worry about the day of the Lord? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes. Josh, how are you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great. Good. Excited to
1: be here and talk about some
0: Thessalonians. That's right. Yeah. I mean, this is, we don't often talk about Thessal- first Thessalonians. Uh, how many times, how fast can you say Thessalonians?
1: I, I don't want to try because this is being recorded and uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to sound like, like I have a, a, a list for anything. Not that there's anything wrong with having a list, but. No,
0: it, but you don't want to be accused of making fun of anybody who has a speech impediment. That That too. Yeah. We don't yes. want to do that either. Yeah, that's right. Well, well, because we are talking today, we are looking at First Thessalonians, verse uh, chapter four, verse thirteen through chapter five, verse eleven, which is a really big, which is actually a pretty decent sized chunk of scripture for us to be talking about today. And in the and the reason that we're talking about this particular passage as we do our zigzag through Acts and the epistles is, um, we is that this particular section of Scripture, it has deals with a really important concern within the early church, and one that's still an important concern today, which is the return of Christ and the day of the Lord. Right. Now, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know we talked about uh, the second coming of Christ, and specifically the meaning of the millennium, uh, a couple weeks ago on mm-hmm. uh, on a doctrine episode, so we're not going to be covering stuff like that today, um, are we, Josh?
1: No, we're actually going to be addressing m- more acutely uh, the concerns that Paul's addressing that the uh, Thessalonican or Thessalonian believers, however you want to say yeah. the, the adjective, adjectival form of Thessalonica. But yeah. uh, we'll be we'll be dealing with uh, how Paul addressed. Uh, their concerns about what was what was it going to be like when when Jesus returned what did it mean for uh believers who had already died and what did it mean for those who would still be alive when Jesus returned
0: yeah yeah so uh so let's uh let's set up some context here as uh before we actually read the passage that uh, that we're going to be discussing and then ask some questions about it so i'll take a i'll take a first chunk and then uh josh you can fill in any gaps Sure. So as was mentioned, this was a letter that was written to the people of Thessalonica, uh, to the believers that were there. The, um, Thessalonica was the Roman capital of Macedonia during during Paul's day, which today is located in modern Greece. As Josh noted, it is confusing as to whether or not we should be referring to the people of Thessalonica as Thessalonians or Thessalonicans. We're gonna go with Thessalonians, <laughs> since it's the letter name. Sure, but uh, you know, Good just off. for fun. It's a good, it's a good safe option. But this letter was written in somewhere between scholars believe forty nine and fifty one A D is is when the typical dating, by the majority, is pointing toward. And we'll talk about why that matters in just a second. Thinking about audience, um, you know this like many of the epistles this is likely a mixed audience in terms of jewish and gentile believers because of the d- various dysphoria over the over the centuries um there were jewish believers all over the world mm-hmm. or there were Jew- jews all over the world who then really helped create a fertile ground for the gospel right. to go forward right. and so we can't miss that when we're thinking about the when we're thinking about the experience of the of the early church there is um, there were people some people understood more about what was being talked about than others because they had connections to Judaism right the Thessalon- the Thessalonian church was planted by uh was planted by Paul and his associates during one of his early missionary journeys. He actually had to leave uh he actually had to leave early because of persecution, so right. he started this. And he didn't get to tell them anything, everything that he wanted to, because they got drummed out of he mm-hmm. his he and his boys got drummed out of town. Yeah. Um, but while he was in in Corinth, he sends Timothy back to check on on them, relays the and and so Timothy's getting a status update and gets a whole bunch of questions and concerns from the church about uh, some pretty major issues about what it means to be a Christian and specifically as we're going to, as we're going to talk about the day of the Lord and, and what all that entails. Now I mentioned that the date is really, really important here. Yes. And, and that's true of all of the, the the epistles that are in our new Testament. It's true of the gospels. It's true of every book and passage in scripture. What we need to know about this one specifically is this is this is important because we have here a letter that affirms the deity and resurrection of Jesus that proclaims the promise of his second coming that was written within 20 years of Jesus's death and uh, actual death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that really really matters because one of the common criticisms of Christian Christian belief that really is, um, that has, in its most, uh, that it's it's been around on and off from the beginning, but it's, rel- it's relatively recent in its current form, um, is the belief in, G- uh, is that the belief in Jesus' deity and resurrection are actually later additions to what Christians believe. That it's a bit of mythologizing that's been right. incorporated over the centuries. Um, however... From, from the closely dated evidence available to us, what this means is, is that this belief that, that, that Jesus was and is God, that Jesus died and rose again, uh, the, uh, has been central to the Christian faith from the very beginning. So, Mm -hmm. um... You know, and so this is why you see all through the New Testament that um, the this this labeling of Jesus' return as the Day of the Lord, which is this Old Testament language being applied right. to him. Um, so, were it not true, were it in fact a bit of mythologizing? It could have easily been disproved by those who were actually present with him in the flesh because at the time that this was written, many of those people, both those who opposed him and those who followed him, were still alive. And so all someone ever had to do was go and talk to, was say, go talk to Peter, go talk to James, go talk to his mom. And she'll tell you. And I mean, we see this in... Luke's epistle as well where he's like these people are still alive and this is why I'm telling you this is why I'm pointing them out specifically if you don't believe what I'm writing go talk to them hmm. <laughs> so uh, so that's just a a quick uh, quick little sidebar that wasn't that quick um <laughs>
1: <laughs> they, they never they never are because once you no. get into the details they're they're not only helpful uh, and important to establishing context and significance—they're they're just also interesting. They uh, so are it's easy to get. It's easy to get lost in the details because it's, it's kind of fun to 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 be in them.
0: Yep. All right. So, Josh, how about so that's the the general background of the book. How about you get us into some of the 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 context of the book itself?
1: Yeah. Well, First Thessalonians, uh, there's there's a lot in here, uh, not just about the return of Jesus, but that is a a pressing concern, a pervasive concern throughout. Uh, but interestingly, interestingly enough, uh, Thessalonians, uh, this, this first letter that Paul wrote to them, uh, concerns a lot about leading a, a, a godly life, what holiness looks like uh, for the Christian, what honest hard work should look like for the Christian, and so it can seem really uh, mundane and 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 basic in terms of the the, the things that Paul teaches and exhorts of the Thessalonian believers here Uh, but it shows that the return of Jesus has a a real practical concern and practical effect on us and how and and motivating us to want to lead a a godly life in Christ and so Paul points to not only the salvation that they have in Jesus the sanctification that they can pursue and grow in uh, in Jesus but also because of his return uh, this this persecution, the suffering that they've been enduring, uh, just in this this context, that has been more hostile toward the gospel. Uh, they can they can look beyond it, and n- with hope and knowing that there there's an end in sight with with Jesus' return eventually. Now they didn't know when uh, when Jesus was going to come back exactly, but we still get a model of how the return of Jesus in this coming day, of the Lord is to. Uh, influence and inform our, our thinking and our living uh as Christians and then also Paul as well as we'll look at when we look, read the passage uh, he he gives comfort even to those whose death uh whose dying precedes uh Jesus return that they're that they're not going to miss out on the party when he gets back and w- we can talk about that more after after we read the we've read the passage
0: Well on that note uh let's get st- let's get into that and uh So I'm going to read, I'm going to read our passage and then we're going to, then we're going to talk about it a little bit. So, uh, here is first Thessalonians and notice I'm trying to be very careful when I say it so that I also don't, uh, don't, uh, fumble it at all. But, uh, here we go. We do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters concerning those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. About the times and, set and the seasons. Brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come, up, uh, will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, as you are already doing. All right. So, Josh, what are some questions we should be asking about this? Yeah.
1: Well, first, uh, important question to consider is, what did Paul mean uh, with this this phrase of those who uh, are asleep in Jesus, those who are already asleep? Is he is he only? Uh, is he only referring to to physical sleep there uh, it can sp- seem like a like a strange uh, metaphor to to uh invoke uh here and uh, some have taken this maybe in the in the wrong way throughout uh, church history and mm-hmm. uh, people's interacting with the bible to uh, promote this idea called soul sleep where the the person after they die uh, their soul doesn't immediately go into the presence of god and into what we would call heaven but instead goes into sort of a uh, unconscious state of, of rest, where uh, it's not uh, alive and self-conscious uh, in, in that in that regard, but instead is in this dormant state until uh, the return of Jesus. But I think that's to, to, to misread uh, the metaphor that, that Paul's using here. Instead, he mm-hmm. he's comforting the Thessalonians who are worried that those who have preceded them in death from, uh, from among their midst are, are going to miss out on on the great event uh, of Jesus' return, he's a, he's a, he, they're afraid that that this important event is part important part of salvation, and that if you if if they if these people were to die before Jesus gets back, because again from the early church's perspective, Jesus' return would have seemed especially imminent. They it's been within a generation that he has died. And so, a lot of them were likely assuming that it would it would just it would be just around the corner that Jesus would get back. So mm-hmm. they, they're thinking. So what do we what do we do about these believers who have died before uh, he he returns? So Paul gives them comfort by saying, you know, this this state that they're in, this state of death, it, it's only temporary. It's like sleeping. So that's a, that's a comforting way uh, to address uh, to address uh, that issue and to speak to the the state of mind. Uh, that the Thessalonians would would be in so I think other scripture is helpful to bring to especially uh within Paul himself mm-hmm. uh, that that would reject this idea that um that um, that the soul that souls are asleep a- after death for Christians, or uh, that somehow, some way that those who aren't alive and present on the earth when Jesus returns are, are gonna miss out. Well, no, they're they, they're at kind of the the, the pre party, if we could say, with the, the pre gathering, uh, for the party, and we'll, we'll see that play out a little bit, uh, when we uh, unpack more of uh, this passage. But I think it's Second Corinthians 5 8. Where Paul says to, that to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord when he mm-hmm. when he's talking about the state that comes in between uh, our our deaths and Jesus returns. Uh to live as Christ to die is gained, if you think to uh back to uh, Philippians one nineteen through twenty one, somewhere. Yeah. And, and there, so it, it's a gain actually to to die because you're more immediately in the presence of, of Christ. And then think back to Jesus' uh, promise to the thief on the cross that today he would be with him in paradise. So these are promises of assurance that there will be uh, there will be joy, there'll be elation, there'll be relief. It won't just be some sort of stagnant, uh, dormant state or anything really for uh, believers who die before. Uh, the Lord returns to, to, to be, uh, to be stressed about or being ang- angst about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There, that language of, of being asleep. i i I think that is a really clever way that, uh, that Paul has described this and right. that this, this metaphorical perspective, uh, of it, um, particularly because, I mean, as we see the hope of the resurrection drives so much of, well, it, and it should, Mm -hmm. it drives so much of Paul's writing, especially in this letter. Um, But just that it's like even making this, this essential comparison that um, because of the resurrection, the state of physical death while real may as well is like sleeping for, Mm -hmm. for a believer, because one day we will rise again Mm -hmm. as well. And that's, and that is um, so essential to us because of the hope the the hope that it gives us when we are mourning grieving suffering um that that we know that death is not truly the end that it is that is a step toward ultimately glorification right
1: it really underlies the the power of jesus resurrection how how Mm -hmm. far it goes and that by his resurrection and through faith we are united to him and that that union is it interrupted yeah. even in death? The dead in Christ, this language that Paul used, and those who are asleep in Jesus, they're still in Christ. They're still in Jesus despite death, in spite of death. Mm-hmm. And their bodies are waiting for this 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 return to Christ so that body and soul can be re- reunited as God intended from the beginning for us to be body and soul to, together. So mm-hmm. really in Jesus, death and resurrection His coming again he's making all things new and that he's putting back together the broken pieces that the, that the fall has, has fragmented and, and, and causing soul and body to be separated prior to the, the final uh, resurrection. Yeah. Um, probably a good point to uh, transition though, to a, to another important question. And uh, that's it. That's in verse 15 where Paul mentions uh, in chapter four, verse 15, where Paul mentions that this is a, a word uh, from the Lord as he's giving this this comfort, and he explicitly states what this what this word, what this declaration is, and that's that we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. What are some things we should think about, Aaron, as we uh, talk about, uh, as we look at what does a, a word from the Lord mean in this, this context?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, there's a couple of there's a couple of options uh, for how we can understand this. One of them that um, it, generally speaking, is a little bit less in favor these days. From from the reading that I've been able to able mm. to do, is um, that this was something that what Jesus had actually said that that Paul was basically far- paraphrasing, but wasn't included included in the Gospels. So it was right. it was a teaching of Jesus that was only communicated orally, and this is certainly possible because we do know that uh, that the Gospels themselves are not exhaustive. In mm-hmm. terms of containing all that Jesus taught, all that He did, uh, John himself says that if we were to try to capture everything, we could not. We could not contain the number of books right. uh, that, that would be written. There would be no end to them. Um, not to mention and,
1: they didn't have exclamation or sorry quotation marks
0: like uh, exactly. Like we do today. So it's yeah, all, I mean, basically everything is a paraphrase. Exactly, so exactly. Um, yeah. So, so there is so that that is that is a viable option for sure. Um, another option that is equally viable and tends to be a little bit more in favor um, in the scholarly consensus at this point. Um, we know that that changes here and there, uh, changes every so often, but that this was something that was directly revealed to Paul himself by the Lord that he is declaring with the authority of an apostle. And this is something that we, that we see him do, uh, periodically. He doesn't lean on it too heavy, but he does do it, including in this letter Right. In passages like uh, chapter two, verse thirteen, uh, chapter four, verses two and eight, he does this in First Corinthians fourteen thirty-seven as well, um, and so that is so. Both of those options are possible, but the point, regardless of the the one that you take, is the same: is is that this should be seen as uh, seen and understood as being truly right, authoritative teaching. Right, right. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that, again, it serves as grounds for our hope uh, in Christ as we look forward to the day of the second coming or the return or the day of the Lord.
1: Right, and i I'd probably lean to the latter option if I could just put mm-hmm. my cards on the table. I'll still be friends with those who take the, the, the previous uh, option, but I, I think within Thessalonians, you especially have this uh, emphasis on, uh, heeding instruction or uh, affirming what Paul's saying, because uh, what he says when he's speaking in an official, uh, in an official way as an apostle. Uh, this this is to be received as, as the, as the word, uh, as a word from the Lord. So it shows that Paul self-consciously knew that when he's teaching in a formal sense and mm-hmm. and writing and, and, and th- this sort of formal way uh, that he, that he's coming with, with the power and authority uh, of, of the, of the word of God, his words yeah. are, are the word of God.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I would lean, lean in that direction as well. I mean, like I said, both of these are, both of these are very, uh, very realistic possibilities. But we right. also know that Paul had a very particular and unique experience as mm-hmm. an apostle because he was, he was the one who was not taught by Jesus. He was the one who yeah. was not, who was an opponent of Jesus. Um, in fact, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah. And, um, but we also have seen where he describes his experience of being out in the wilderness and being taught by the spirit. Um, mm-hmm you know, and all this kind of stuff. So, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's just an interesting, interesting little bit there. Um, now the next thing that that leads into is, is, um, is this other question that is there because he, he talks about, as he is describing this word from the Lord, um, he uses this language of we who are still alive. Yeah. Now, what, what did he mean there? Was he saying that, that, he believed that he specifically would be alive on the day on the day of the lord on the day of jesus return josh what do you think about that
1: That, that's a good question and it comes from an, an observant reading so if somebody uh is is picking up on this and how is paul using the pronoun we that shows that they're really paying attention to uh to scripture, but just to, just in reading in general, that's just, that's just a good uh, state of mind to be, to be thinking uh, critically and engaging with the text and, and that way. Uh, and some, I think, um, uh, who for maybe sincere, but misguided reasons, sometimes think this isn't a challenge. This is a challenge to the, the trustworthiness of scripture that because Paul says we it shows that he himself expected uh, when writing the letter to be around when Jesus comes back. Well, obviously that didn't happen uh, because the world's not been transformed We're not in the new heavens, and new earth. It didn't happen in the first century uh, within Paul's life. So does this mean that the new Testament authors like Paul could be in error when they talk about the, that, the, the, the uh, imminence of Christ's return? Well, no, I'm going to say it's not, not, not necessary to take it that way. Cause when we're looking at, whether a teaching is an error. We really got to ask the question, well, what is intending to be taught here? And Paul isn't necessarily saying that when we is limited to I and the Thessalonian believers, that when we're here for this event, this will happen. We'll know we is a way of referring to uh, believers in Christ in in general. And we use we like this uh, just in common everyday usage, sometimes we can mean all of humanity, mm-hmm. uh, like the human experience, the human condition. Sometimes we'll say we and we mean everybody in the room. We might mean our family. We might mean our church. And in this case, I think it's best to consider Paul as meaning, is referring to all believers who are around at the time of of Christ's coming, of his return. Yes. And so, and so that also, I think that's a, that's a good, um, um, Model for us to see our unity, our bond with believers throughout all ages. So when we say the church, we don't just mean the church of the first century or the church of the 21st century, right. or our own local church, but we're referring to a body of believers that that is united by Jesus and it transcends time and culture. That this union that we have, so we can speak away in that collective sense as the, as the church. Uh, the church immemorial, if we could put it that way.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think the only other use of "we" that this one that should be excluded from this is the is uh, my personal favorite, the w- royal "we." Oh yes. <laughs> largely because I want to, uh, and I'll use that largely because I want to feel very important, you know, because we are not amused. But uh...
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, we are not now. Now, now are we no. quoting uh, Matrix Reloaded now?
0: oh absolutely okay okay absolutely uh you know that's that's where we where we build all our eschatology from right exactly wait no that's the opposite (laughs) late 90s early 2000s sci-fi movies of course that's that's yeah i mean it's it's as one does um Mm -hmm. you know it's probably about as it's about as quality as anything from the 70s or (laughs) 80s in terms of theology so uh (laughs) all right let's move on before we get into trouble uh because we're we're on dangerous ground here (laughs) um uh, but so, what does it mean? This is this is another another piece here because we see Paul use this language of the day of the Lord coming like a thief in the night. And so, what does this mean? Um, so, really, there is a degree there is a degree to which um, this language is intended to is really communicating the unexpectedness of hmm. the of the day. We cannot know the day and time, and anyone who uh, tries to tell you that they can figure out, well, they've got something that they want to sell you. Um, and so you should just not listen to them And because often they're trying to sell a book. But, exactly. um, uh, but that is something that Jesus explicitly stated during his earthly ministry that no one would know the day or the time. And he, in fact, used this same language of... Uh, of it coming like a thief in the night and we see this repeated throughout throughout the uh throughout the gospels and later in the epistles as well um, so we see it in matthew 24 or 43 we see it in Luke 1239 we see it in second Peter 310 in revelation a couple of times as well in ver- in chapter 3 verse 3 and 16 verse 15. Um the day so we can watch for signs we can re- we can basically read the room
1: mm-hmm.
0: we can have a good idea but if we think that but we need to recognize that we're not going to know for sure and that actually leads to the next thing that paul that that Paul does in this that we wanted to to mention which mm-hmm. is he keeps using this language of therefore stay awake so Josh why does he do that?
1: Well, Obviously, he he has a stake in Red Bull. He wants us to drink lots of Red Bull and five yes. hour energy. No, no, I'm, I'm no. just kidding. That that wasn't no. around the first century anyway. So,
0: okay, what uh, I wonder what kind of did they did they have any kind of uh, uh, I wonder if they had any sort of caffeine related stimulants, right? Like some
1: type of stimulant. I, I don't know what, what that would be. Yeah. I mean, coffee's mm-hmm. been around a long time, in that's true, different parts of the world. So, there's probably people from ancient times they realized that you know coffee could give you a boost uh, probably certain types (laughs) of tea but anyways this is all historical speculation on on, on my part Uh, but stay (laughs) awake well um stay awake that's another metaphor so we've seen the sleep metaphor now we're having a stay awake metaphor saying that if we're living if we're on the earth we need to be uh perceptive attentive discerning uh you you need to be in a state of mind that's ready to, to go. It's a, it's a call to vigilance to, to be, um, to be, to be alert. You know, people use this phrase, you know, whether you're woke or not woke Mm -hmm. today, not, you know, I'm not trying to endorse or uh, dismiss any of the political ideas, um, necessarily that one might associate with wokeness as as it's called, but being woke, the reason people invoke that, that Phraseology that term is to say that you have your eyes open that you're you're attuned to what's going on around you and as believers in Christ who have special insight on God's plan for history because of what we've been given in Scripture uh, and what the Thessalonians would would have had in terms of their uh, uh, their letters from Paul they they would and they would have had direct uh, teaching from. Uh, Paul and his associates—they they would have that special insight. So they need to apply that. They need to be mindful of that as the, as they go about the business of, of being a Christian. And, w- and we're to do the same. That that's why we are given the New Testament as the, as the church, uh, so that we might think rightly as Christians and live rightly as christians knowing that we're that the days are evil and we want to redeem them wisely knowing that we live in the in-between times what what we've referred to in previous podcasts is the already and the not yet the the kingdom has already come in jesus but it's not coming its fullness and so we're at the very climax of history during this interval between jesus first and, and second coming so so we need to we need to be we need to live in a way that we're awake that we're not falling asleep becoming dormant becoming passive
0: Yeah. Cool. All right. So let's, let's, uh, let's bring this home, uh, now. So we, we've talked a lot about some of the details and, and of course we could have gone for even longer because there's so, there's so much more that we didn't talk about, but, um, but let's think about this passage from a discipleship perspective. So, um, what kind of guidance can we, can we offer our listeners as they work through this? Um, I'm gonna take one of the first ones, and then I want you to then I want you to bring the rest of this home for us. So sounds good. Um, so this so one of the the first thing here is is the question is the question that led off this episode. Should we should we should we worry about or should we care about the the day of the Lord? Um, and the answer, of course, is is yes. We absolutely need to care about the day of the Lord. We should, but we don't need to worry about it. And uh, Josh, you'll you'll talk about why uh, why in that for uh, in a second, to a greater degree. But one of the realities that, that that we live with right now is that the day of the Lord and the second coming alongside it have been wildly sensationalized by different forms of media and teaching. Um, and because of that, it is really tempting to dismiss it because of some of the more um, egregious examples of this. And um, for the sake of sanity, I'm not going to mention any of those at all um, because some would be also be incredibly offended that I would accuse their, uh, their preferred um, book series um, <laughs> <laughs> of being awful theologically because it's awful theologically um and so but despite the awfulness we have to not dismiss the day of the lord we need to be concerned about this absolutely what's interesting is is that uh, according to paul our salvation in jesus and the prospect of his return should lead us to lead a quiet and holy life to do our jobs well to the glory of God to be good neighbors. Uh Peter likewise talks about making it your aim to 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 lead this kind of this kind of life as well. That's that's the kind of thing that the that the, the 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 day of the Lord should prompt us to do more so than uh doom saying and the sky is falling and worrying about who who or what is being left behind.
1: Yeah, that's 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 a great point and it's it
0: can seem counterintuitive
1: that that's how Paul instructs the Thessalonians who are, are worried about the the coming of the Lord and what what's going to happen to those who preceded them in death. Uh but instead his his exhortation isn't to well, let's go crazy in speculation trying to read the signs of the times. And here's the steps and formulas you can take to figure out when Jesus is coming back. No, it's you lead a quiet, godly life. You do your job well and you have nothing to worry about because Jesus is taking care uh, of it all. And it's a, it's going to be a great day for believers uh, Mm -hmm. when he returns. And that that's really what I want to get into with this, this next uh, point we want to address. And that's the, the second coming of Christ. It's the grounds of our hope. Uh, It's the grounds of our hope because Paul isn't just pointing us to the day of the Lord that Jesus comes and he just takes us out of the earth and the earth eventually is destroyed, dissolves, goes away forever, and we're just disembodied spirits floating around in, in heaven uh, with Jesus uh, forever. Well, no, you think about Jesus' resurrection himself. He he's re- He was resurrected bodily and we are like him. We are in Jesus. That's part of what that means to be in union with Christ. It's body and soul union with jesus and so his resurrection will be like ours that's why paul talks so much about believers having the resurrection life that jesus has so really as some theologians have put it paul's not so much in the new testament pointing us to the hope of life after death or an afterlife but more accurately is it's life after life after death when jesus comes back to restore the cosmos to restore the world to bring about what's called the new heaven and new earth where heaven and earth are united as they were supposed to be in the physical the spiritual are at one and in harmony as god intended it from 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 the beginning and it's a great comfort it's, it's a it's a great uh, uh consolation that we that we know that w- when we die uh we're, we're, we're that's not the end of the story uh, we know what uh, what awaits us. We know what awaits us on the other side of the grave because Jesus is on the other side of the grave, and He's come back from the grave, and He's coming back uh, this day of the Lord language that we we've talked about comes from that from the Old Testament, and in various passages you can find mostly that are, that are in the prophets, the ma- the major minor prophets. So think of books like Isaiah, Joel, Amos, um, Malachi, and several others. This is described as both a day of salvation for God's people where. Uh, there's there's going to be people flocking into the kingdom and 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 le- and le- and uh, learning about God's word and receiving God's law and peoples from all nations uh, becoming part of God's covenant people. So there, there's that aspect that aspect of it, and it's going to be relief from the, the oppression that maybe God's people have faced. But then there's also this this line of uh, description that mm-hmm. talks about judgment uh, coming upon either the people of God themselves uh, who might've been at a point of rebellion in their history at that time uh, in, in Israel's history um, or uh, on, on their enemies. And so it's a, it's a day of salvation for God's people that relief is coming all the evil is going to be punished, but it's a, it's a day, it's an occasion of judgment uh, for those who do not know the Lord do not follow uh, his His ways. And so this is applied to, to Jesus. And so th- this is our hope, especially you think about how this would apply to uh, the experience of the Thess- the, Thess- the Thessalonians um, who were enduring persecution. So now the day the Lord's going to come and Jesus is going to free them of all all this. And yet though, Paul doesn't make too little about about the pain, about the angst that they go through and facing death and face, facing suffering, persecution. So he's not saying for us to be uh, callous or numb uh, to grief and sorrow, but rather he acknowledges our grief and sorrow and says to comfort and encourage one another uh, with these words. So as Christians today, uh, we want to strike that same balance that, that Paul has here, where you acknowledge the, the, the sadness uh, you acknowledge that the badness that comes with death pain um, we want we we want to uh we want to acknowledge and affirm people in their grief but we we don't grieve as those without hope to to quote paul we're not those without hope we mourn but not without hope and we do so because we know that death and and this life at this stage of history is not not the end of the story there, there's more to the story and mm-hmm. we'll we'll see how glorious that is when when jesus comes and um, just to just just try to get us to to a close, uh, how uh, we think about Jesus' return is is important to how we live right now. Uh, we need to live uh, in such a way that acknowledges that Jesus is coming and he's coming soon. Now that doesn't mean that we have a time clock and have a countdown to know the specific date and time. It actually, the New Testament tells us not to do that. Jesus saying that. We cannot know the day or hour and that, uh, the times and seasons that the father has appointed. If we go to acts one, they're not for us to know, but we're to be about the business of making disciples, making disciples. So we are still called to engage in the world. There, there are some people who take this. Idea about Jesus coming; he's going to snatch us out of the world. And the world's evil and corrupt, so we just need to avoid culture. Don't get entangled with culture. Don't don't befriend too many non Christians, lest you be corrupt before Jesus comes back. Well, no, actually, we need to engage in the world for the sake of mission, um, mm-hmm. and that's the that's the logic uh, of the of the New Testament that because there is judgment to come, we need to spread this word to others. And also because it's good news that Jesus is coming to make all things new and end all sad things, we need to tell others so they can join in the party. So we're, we're, we act as witnesses to the greatness of God and the beauty of the gospel itself when we go about the business of telling uh, good news to a bad news world. And that, that doesn't just include uh, our, how we speak, but how we act. It, it involves our conduct, our character, and also how uh, the content of our languages, we season our speech with Saul, if I could put it that way.
0: Man, that's a great way to put it. And it's a great note to end on too. So Josh, thanks for talking through First Thessalonians chapter four and five with me. This was uh, this was a lot of fun. And uh, thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.